Hello, dear listeners. Thank you for being with us today. I am so, so, so excited to have a very special guest back on the podcast, uh, Elian L. Amuni. You may know her as Twitchy Witch, the TikTok superstar. I think you have close to a million followers on TikTok now. (laughs) We're getting there. (laughs) Uh, Jungian dream analysis, occult symbolist, Transfigure, transformer, transfigurist, cat. <laughs> I don't know the proper terminology, but you could let us know. And also um, a PhD in the Palestinian political identity. Just an incredibly brilliant mind and big open heart. And just, I'm so excited to have you here again. And thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. It's such an honor. It's such an honor. And um we spoke, um, gosh, a couple months ago, back in the summer, and the world was a different place. Um, it's changing very, very rapidly these days, but it feels like the past two months have just been a total transformation. And I, I'll admit, I didn't know much about um, a Palestine and Israel before October seventh. I really didn't, but it was living in my mind as this piece of like someday I'm going to understand this and things will be different. And so when when the tables turned and when it, it all started to open up, I turned to you a lot um, uh, because of your wealth of information and your platform, your ability to share with people. And so I just want to start by saying thank you so much for your the service that you're for all of us thank you I feel like I'm not doing enough like it never feels like enough though like could it ever be enough right no <laughs> yeah and you're you're doing so I mean you were doing so much that TikTok banned you so yeah, yeah. I think by yeah. definition we can say you've done, you're doing enough <laughs> right but what was that experience like for you? You were you were doing a live on TikTok. You had a bunch of people watching. You'd been posting videos for weeks. Um, you're you've always posted about religion, about alchemy, about the tarot, um, and all of that's inherently political. But I think we I hadn't seen as much from you as you know on the surface politics as people generally understand them. Um, but obviously, after October seventh, the floodgates open, and that was the day after you submitted your. PhD dissertation. Is that right? Yep. So you'd been kind of holding back from speaking about that until the PhD, until the work was done. And then, holy, what timing? Well, I, I I had been holding back because a year earlier, I made a video. I was making a series about names. I don't know if you remember those, but I was breaking down the name Michael. And I talked about how the L in Michael is an appropriation uh, of the Canaanite El into the Hebrew religion. It was like all of the different gods, El, Baal, etc. They were all kind of uh, put into one, like it went from a polytheistic understanding, a pantheon of gods, to the one god who had all of the characteristics of the gods. And so I said that in the video, and I said that, oh, I'm not talking about 1948 because I said they took it when when they destroyed Canaan when they conquered Canaan they took their gods with them but I'm not talking about 1948 I'm talking about the book of Deuteronomy and that invited a flood of Zionists into my account 
And they started harassing me incessantly. This was a year ago. And at the time, no one was talking about this, right? I was, I had been studying it for about four years. I've lived my whole life with the, with Palestine and with the conflict, but I got so scared because it was like three weeks of nonstop threats and harassment. I had people sending me my address, telling me that they know where I am, sending me names the names of my family members telling me to check on them. It was so scary that I like, I stopped making content at first. And then I just decided to, to just steer clear of anything that had to do with it. I was just so scared. Like I, and I now feel like somewhat ashamed for having let them scare me so much, but I was still new to TikTok. I had a smaller audience. I was like, you know, this just isn't worth bringing here. I'm I'm already doing that work in the academic world and maybe that's where it belongs. So maybe I'm I'm just being steered away from from bringing that here. And then a year later the whole internet is talking about it and they can't stop us now because there's just too many of us. So yeah. That that's what kept me that's what kept me from talking about it. And I just happened to submit my dissertation that night and then the next morning I wake up and I see the news and I'm like, whoa. And I got my dragon that day. So I even wrote, I was just reading it today, this morning in my journal, I wrote there were three eruptions uh, today, my dissertation submission, the infiltration and the arrival of the dragon. So, yeah. Whoa, whoa. What did it did it feel like relief at that point for you? Yes. 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 Yeah. To see the whole world say, start to speak on what was so heavy in my heart every single day, you know, that was so, oh, it was like, I, like even thinking about it now, it's like a wave washing over me. Like finally we can, we can say it. We don't have to be afraid. We can say occupation. We can say injustice. We can say apartheid. Like I used to measure my words so carefully when talking about this because you're just not allowed to say anything. And, and the governments are trying really hard to keep it that way, but no one is stopping. Like there's too many of us to stop now. The cap is off, as you said. Right. right? <laughs> totally. Totally. I... I mean, I don't think you should feel ashamed for, for, for taking a pause when you're, when you felt like you were in danger, you know, mm -hmm. like strangers on the internet sending you your address. That's terrifying. It was so scary. Yeah. So especially, scary. you know, you, you understand the whole context, right? Like it's, you know, you're speaking up about um, institutionalized power, institutionalized oppression, and you understand the power that they have. And so, you know, that their threats aren't, totally empty. I mean, they might've been empty, but like, you know, that there are real threats in, at play. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I, you know, in terms, I experienced that I've experienced that a little bit because there was um, before October 7th, there was maybe a year ago, the last time there was a, a, a flare up on the global consciousness. I remember posting about occupation and getting a little bit of pushback, but I didn't fully understand it at that time. And I mean, I feel ashamed for not doing more due diligence to do the research, but I really bought into the myth that it was complicated. Like I really just like, 
And that's been a part of the past couple months is like the grief for like the way I gaslit myself or I allowed myself to be gaslit. Um, but when, uh, after October 7th, I started educating myself actively and there were so much more, so many more resources available. And I had you to, to follow and just, you know, I was like getting this language and I was posting and within like right away, someone reached out a Jewish friend and said, don't use the word occupation. And all of a sudden said all of these things that I couldn't do. And that gave me pause because, you know, I'm like, I don't, I didn't know enough. And so that it's, it spurned a lot more research. And then I ended up, someone else ended up reaching out and pushing back. But as I educated myself and, and then witnessed the pushback, it actually made things clearer because I got to see, you know, I got to ask questions to the people who were pushing back and starting to see what their worldview was and starting to see where the holes were. were. And that actually helped me like um, speaking out and like getting someone saying, well, no, you can't speak out. You can't do this. And it's like, oh, things are becoming so much clearer now. Yeah. No, you can't. It's like people trying to keep out a tsunami, you know, like people telling, you know, you have to you don't take the wall down We're this is you're letting in the tsunami, bro. We need to let in the tsunami. It's a force of nature. You're not your dams and your walls. It's not going to keep it out. Like it's coming. You can't stop it. Hmm. That's yeah, that's that's something I've been feeling lately because part of what I do is advocate for other people to use their voice and to step up. And at the same time, I feel like what's unraveling is going to unravel regardless of what any of us does individually. And so it's we have so much power in our choices to, to step up and take action. But also it's going to happen. Like the paradigm mm -hmm. is shifting and that's just mm -hmm. it's done. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can't you can't stop the shift and we are going to look back in retrospect at, and we're going to study the people and the ways that they tried to stop the shift and you know seeing this and because I spent a lot of time on like sometimes like Israeli TikTok IDF TikTok just to see what's going on over there and it is literally like watching the Nazis make memes in real time and I just keep wondering like at the time if people could see what was happening you know in the way that we do now how they have reacted and why is it that we can see so much and still behave the way people did a hundred years ago and look away and pretend that you know this is a this is okay this is just needs to happen collateral damage the effects of war all of these words like bro are you all right like does someone have a hold on your mind are you okay like do you really want to be remembered this way? Because this isn't going to be forgotten. No tyranny lasts forever. Yeah. You know, when, when was the time, last time you felt deeply? Because if you're not being shaken right now, then like, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. But th yeah, that's, that's, yeah. But that's, I mean, that's the whole imperialist agenda is, well, the way that they're able to continue is by keeping people numb, by um, encouraging them to consume instead of feel. And um, that's, I think, why Israel can exist is because people haven't healed their pain, because they're 
they're suppressing it. They're not willing to look at it. They're not willing to sit with the depth of it. And therefore they can't, they become blind or they can become brainwashed because they can't actually access their spirit or their, their humanity. It's like the heart is occupied essentially, mm-hmm. you know, like what, what has, what occupies, colonizes your heart essentially what has colonized her. I think that was one of the first videos that I made to ask, to ask ourselves that, to ask ourselves what we're trying to purge. What is it inside of you that you reject so deeply that you're willing to obliterate it without a second thought? Could it be integrated? Because that's, I think, the fundamental problem with Western colonialism, Western empire. It refuses integration and wants to impose itself in a way that rejects all other essentially rather than integrate mm. Mm. the 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 definitive the definition of evil trying to eliminate something mm. well well it's it's more that the creation of evil is in that uh urge to obliterate because it's you have to first say that the other is evil. The other is absolute darkness. And it's my job to eliminate the darkness, right? Rather than to know that the darkness is essentially the effect of light. If there is any darkness, it's coming out of you. It's it's your shadow. And like, I think a lot of people even approach personal shadow work that way. Like, this is a part of myself, like this is my shadow self. I need to, I need to destroy it. I need to ruin it without realizing that, well, you know, the, the shadow is there because it wants to protect you. These are, these are all these protective measures that you've taken unconsciously that, that make up your shadow. So it's not really about obliterating it. It's about reintegrating its protective elements, giving it love in a way that makes it less dark shining light on it as opposed to like trying to obliterate it my shining light on the darkness makes the darkness flee it can be that simple Mm. shining light on the darkness can make it flee Mm -hmm. yeah what do you make of key 15 and the darkness and the light like i i was just reading the other day um a description of the devil as the light bearer mm, lucifer yeah lucifer. and he has in that um in the Waitsmith, smith he's like holding a torch to adam's tail i think right he's lighting yeah. up the tail um that's crazy i also pulled the the devil yesterday as like an outcome card for myself I was reading about it um well as the light bearer Lucifer is connected to Venus so that the idea of the light bearer starts with the idea that Venus rises just before the sun just before the dawn so you know that the light is coming Venus the star is literally the light bearer as in the sun is following her the light is about to shine it's coming after her or him, I guess, in the, in, in the Latin. It's, Venus becomes masculine in the Latin. Um, and I think that is in itself like 
connected to the devil because the devil is card 15 and it's right before card 16, the tower, which is this great illumination, this bolt of lightning, this spark. And you can't experience a spark or a flash of light if you're already in light. You need to be in darkness to light the darkness up. Like we talk about this in my uh, alchemy class a lot in that the night is always pregnant with the day. There's no day without night. The, the night gives birth to the day and the day carries the night within it. It's all, it's all constantly giving birth to itself. And in like the devil card, for the as the light bearer, the torch that the devil is using to light up Adam's tail, it being his tail, tells us that there's something unconscious, natural, animalistic, like base and grounded, so that it starts over from the very bottom of what we are before being these enlightened human conscious beings. We're animals. We're animals with hair on our skin and all of these bodily urges. And it starts there in the in that tale that we lost, essentially. The devil relights that, reminds you what you are at the base. So you can build up again from there, essentially. I mm. answer the question. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was more just like a probing, like, here's the thing mm. that's interesting. Please talk about this. <laughs> And you crushed it. <laughs> um, the tarot has, has so much to offer us for understanding our animal nature. And it really feels like the whole thing is this journey from animal nature to actualized nature. Mm, to angel. I usually like to see like animal, human, angel, this like this three part. Well, I get that from Jung, I think, because he talks about us shedding the monkey and growing wings and we're somewhere man is somewhere in between that shedding monkey and winged creature mm. uh, Nietzsche said um, man is a rope between mm. animal and and uh, superman ubermensch uh, yes. rope over an abyss yes yes 100% I love that yeah I love because and it makes me think of the fool, of course, you know, like at the precipice of the abyss. Um, and then the Terrence McQu Terrence McKenna talking about the abyss being a feather bed and just all of this, like, but like this, this, this imagery of like the rope over this abyss, like it feels terrifying. And it's like, am I gonna like, you know, it's taut and yet like it's just this free fall. And it's like maybe we will fall back into our animal nature, you know, we're still humans, like we're not quite going to ascend or maybe we will, maybe we are ascending into the angel, the Ubermensch, the Superman, but like, maybe we're also just here to be in the tension. <laughs> yes. To find the balance. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we have moments, like at least in my experience, I have moments where I fall into my animal. And when I rise into my angel and when I'm just balancing on the precipice, the, the right trigger can take you to any, any one of these experiences mm. really how do you navigate that without participating in the original sin narrative because mm. I don't know about you but for me there's been so much like 
in the back of my mind that I had to deprogram, like I'm bad, I'm wrong. You know, that's that. And I don't think it's just, it's the West, right? It's just baked into modernity. You don't have to be raised Catholic or like, you don't have to be raised in the faith of that. We all have that paradigm haunting us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree. There's uh, the Abraham's God and his ways are very deeply ingrained in everything that the West represents and in our consciousnesses as Western people, which makes, you know, Israel and Palestine all the more interesting on a psychological, both collective and individual level. But I was very lucky from a very young age to be protected from the programming Mm because I didn't grow up in a religious household. I went to a nun's school and had very spiritual parents who had uh, a lot of very spiritual friends, many of whom were religious leaders and religious teachers of different faiths. So I always got to see all of these different elements and aspects. I always had someone come to me and say, what did you learn about today? And I would say, I learned about this. And they would say, okay, well, I bet they didn't tell you about this aspect of this. They told you about this because they think that that's the end all be all, but it's not. And you need to know that. So I've always had a, a, I've been so lucky to have this reinforcing of, oh, I'm not, you're not, that's not, you're not going to be programmed in that way. So I was like, even I was just talking to someone like a couple of days ago and we were talking about past experiences and my friend like had this tendency to judge her past self a lot, to judge the mistakes that she made and to like almost have a, a shame of facing who she was. And we were talking about how, well, I was talking about how, you know, if you didn't, if you weren't that person, you wouldn't be the person you are now. Like you wouldn't know the things you know if you didn't make the mistakes you made to learn the lessons you learned. And I realized through her reactions when I was talking about my own experiences that I think a lot of it comes down to language and the way that I frame my narrative. Like my son, people in my life who we might say like I've had fallouts with or who have wronged me, let's say, I would never in my mind frame them as villains. Like there aren't villains in my story. There are shadow people. We all have shadow people. We all have shadow experiences. And when I'm thinking about my stories, when I'm thinking about my past, when I'm thinking about the things that I've done, the things that I've learned, the way that I've grown, I wouldn't, I would never call someone a jerk or an asshole or a bitch or something like that. I would say like, you know, this was a shadow person. And in this moment, I think they were feeling this type of way, or they were triggered by my presence, or they were triggered by something I said, because I've had a lot of those experiences. I've triggered a lot of people. So I have a lot of shadow people in my life and a lot of shadow experiences. Um, And I think that helps because in my narrative, there is no good and evil. I'm not the ultimate good and no one is the ultimate evil in my life. Everyone is showing me 
something in myself that's either dark or light that I that I haven't noticed that I that's making me feel a type of way for a particular reason and I don't always know exactly what it is in the moment sometimes I do but a lot of the times I don't a lot of the times it reveals itself in retrospect when I'm reobserving the experience from the outside and in retrospect so I think it's a lot to do with the way we decide to frame our story, the words we decide to use. Because it's one thing to call someone a bitch, and then it's another thing to say, to call them a shadow person. Because you are implicated in the shadow person. It's not just them versus you. There's no them versus you. There's you versus you. There's you and you. You showing you something. You forgetting something about you and being reminded of it something you reminding someone else of something in them no yeah yeah absolutely radical response self-responsibility yeah regardless and, and also the stories right like the stories govern us so deeply because one a lot of people don't know them they don't read them they just know of them and they just carry that unconsciously as like religious divine truth that's the holy word whereas i've read them several times over throughout my life from adolescence to adulthood and i've always had i've been taught from the very beginning to interpret them and reinterpret them into infinity and to never ever take them literally or as a capital t truth but as mm. something for the purposes of projection to reinterpret every time based on the situation, whatever the situation needs, essentially. We've been yeah. doing that in, in my alchemy class as well. Um, your alchemy class sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. I've been, oh, I love it. I think it's the thing I'm enjoying the most right now. That's so cool. That's so cool. Do people ever sign up thinking that they're going to learn how to turn uh, metal into gold, like basic metal into gold? I think a couple people did, but <laughs> quickly found out that it was something else entirely. Like the philosopher's stone is a metaphor. Right. right. But perhaps it was also a real thing too. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot to say. There's, there's, there's a lot so to say. To say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'll go back to the stories. Because um, cause what, what it, I was thinking of when you were saying that, that, you know, people will just buy into them. I also, there's also a, a big faction of people who've chosen to say, no, they're not true at all. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, there's, there's a, there's a, at least when I was younger, I feel like now most people are, are at least in my realm are, open to source spirit nature like you know even just the reverence for being with trees or, or on the mountain um but certainly when I was younger and I know this movement is so prevalent in the world the atheism people who go well no absolutely that's not true which I think is just as um naive as saying well it's 100% true because if you're saying something's not true you're just denying it exists and it exists because people believe it exists. That's all that's required is our belief. Yep. And it rejecting it entirely 
gives it as much, if not more power than choosing to engage with it and reinterpret it because its power is in its subconscious existence. It exists in our collective unconscious, whether we like it or not, whether we're atheists or we are religious, it's there. So an atheist doesn't realize that they are doing what the Israelites of the Old Testament were uh, ordered to do by their God, to totally reject the other gods because they're not real. I'm the only one that's real. They're doing the same thing. Religion isn't real. Science is the only thing that's real. Like you're, so your, your, your science is your Yahweh, essentially. And the, the old God is, is Baal and Asherah and all of the gods that, that Yahweh wanted people to reject. It's the same ethos. It's there. It's operating unconsciously. But when you engage with the stories, when you really read them, and you decide to take a different angle. You decide to take an alchemical angle, a spiritual angle, a psychological angle, a feminist angle, whatever angle you want to take. You're already stripping it of so much power because one, it's not unconscious anymore. Two, you know what the actual story is. And I've been saying this in my videos. Um, we read a, a bunch of the Old Testament stories in the class a couple of weeks ago. And People were losing their minds, like reading Deuteronomy and Joshua and just the brutality of it, right? But you realize very quickly when you read the whole story, you realize that God promises, but he doesn't deliver. It's a very hot and cold uh, relationship. And we were reading it alchemically. So we were reading it in a way that that frames Yahweh, the God, the one God, as the higher self the covenant as the promise that you make to your higher self to change, to live a new life, to abandon the old ways and embrace the new ways. And you see in the story how every time they, they start, they always end up worshiping other gods and they always end up mingling with the Canaanites and they always end up like just, they never ever completely obliterate. The, the Canaanites, they they end up being ruled by them for periods of time. They are they go into infinite battles with them. It never ends. It's just a constant tension. Um, all of the kings, the greatest kings, have Canaanite mothers who are all widows, which is a very alchemical concept. Um, all of these things that get looked over because we just focus on God promised them the land and they were told to obliterate everyone and that's what they did. No, they didn't. No, they no, they didn't. The same way that you don't you don't make a promise to yourself and suddenly become a new person. That's not what happens. You make a promise to yourself, you move forward, you have a triggering moment, shadow envelops you, you go back to your old ways, you apologize to yourself, you reinstate the covenant, you try again shadow eats you again like it's this constant back and forth this constant tension between you and yourself trying becoming who you are and letting go of who you were it's 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 a journey it's a battle it's it's a dance and you end up just like the israelites you end up incorporating the parts of your shadow and if you do do that 
that is what gives birth to the best parts of who you'll become. That is what gives birth to the kings, if you will, within you. When you decide to let yourself intermarry with your anima or your animus to engage with that part of you that was hidden in shadow, when you decide to integrate it, that's what gives birth to your gold and to who you really want to be. Even though initially you thought you needed to reject yourself entirely, you thought that your shadow was all bad. So it's, it can be very interesting if we, if we really re-engage and take its power away because things are being taken out of context and used to do horrible things for sure, but it only works because we all decide to look away. We all decide to say, oh, this is too much. I can't take it. Bro, read the story. Just read the story. This was written 3,000 years ago. It was a flex. It was a flex to say that your God could help you in battle. No one had moral qualms with battle. That is how you took land. That's how you expanded as a people. That's how you, that's how you had a king. You, you people picked kings based on who could protect them from enemies. You know what? This is just what life was. It's not what it is now. We don't have to project our morals today onto the way we used to live. We just need to understand how we used to live and see how that can translate psychologically in our unconscious. Now, unconsciously, we have that battle within us. We battle with ourselves. We battle with our darkness. And to take away that power, we need to read it, engage, understand, and turn it into a dance. It doesn't have to be a battle. It can be a dance. It can be an intermingling. It can be, it can be a back and forth. It can be a conversation. It can be a debate. It can be so many things. So, mm. yeah, little rant mm. there. <laughs> it's beautiful. I, I, um, you talking about the dance makes me think of uh, the world, like the the dancer inside inside the wreath, and this this actualization place of of transcendence and how on many cards, including on the, the Waite Smith depiction, there's the, the four fixed signs of the Zodiac on there, mm-hmm. um, which also appear in, in religious texts. Like, I, I don't know if, if people are aware how much astrology was embedded before today. Cause I think today they they seemed like these quite separate things. They're both like different people have their different beliefs in, in, in Christianity or in astrology. But like at one point they were deeply intertwined. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I think I made a video about how the wise men are actually astrologers. Like magi doesn't mean wise man. It means astrologer. It means Zoroastrian astrologer. The wise men literally found out about Christ because they saw his star rising in the east. Like these are all, these are, there are lots of clues. Every time something major is going to happen in any of the stories, Old or New Testament, there's always 12 men. There are 12 spies, 12 tribes. There's 12 that are moving. I wonder what that could be. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's a lot. And alchemy has always been, is deeply connected with astrology. Astrology is an essential part of alchemy, the above and the below, right? The stars and man, it's, it's all one. It was one in Egypt, whereas where a lot of these stories come from and a lot of the inspiration for them come from. 
it just becomes so much more dogmatized as time goes by, as empires take these stories and use them as like the explanation, like a divine ordinance to colonize. Like, well, God promised us the land. So that's that's obviously what this is about. Yeah, but also like remember how God like didn't keep his promise? Like, don't you think this is a bad idea? Because it's it's probably not gonna work. Like based on the story, which you're using as some kind of manifestation guide, this is going to end really badly. Like this probably isn't the way to go. The story ends really badly for the Israelites. The more they try, the worse it gets. Like doesn't get better. <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> like, did you check the text? Like, didn't you right, see, right. you like, what? <laughs> I remember the video you made about that. You're like, bro, like, no, like, <laughs> what you're quoting, like, you don't succeed. Like, do you understand what you're referencing, what you're invoking? <laughs> no, literally. Like, that's some messy magic. That's the messiest magic I've ever seen. Do they, I mean... <sighs> It's obviously so intent, obviously it's so intentional. It's so intentional, but on what level, right? Like, is it just pure animalistic greed? Is it all about money, the inability, like, or the suppression of pain? Like what psychologically allows people to, to be so horrifically cruel and so out of touch with even their own mythology? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it happens little by little, you know, like I like to put myself in like to try and put myself in the minds of people like Netanyahu or Hitler or someone. So like when I'm thinking of Netanyahu, I've watched some of his interviews when he was younger. He was like a little more moderate. Um, he was extremely well-spoken. I mean, the man has beautiful voice and he was extremely well-spoken, extremely charismatic. And I think it happens little by little because just like, you know, how when you're on your spiritual journey, right? You always look back at yourself and you're like, wow, I can't believe that was a challenge to me. Like, it's so clear from where I am now, how this would go, but where I am, where I am at, this is a real challenge. Like, like the, the stakes are higher. Your morality is different. You're more expanded. And I think that in the realm of power, it's the same. Like you gradually rise. And as you rise, every time you rise, you're playing a new game. And every new game has its own rules, its own morale, its own way of being. So when you reach a point like where Netanyahu is, you're at a completely different level of morality. Like it, it's very different from up here than what it is from down here to the average person. The same things don't have the same value. What's valuable here isn't valuable here. What's moral here isn't moral here even. So it's like this gradual rising and we adapt. Like that's that's like our number one superpower, our ability to adapt. So little by little, you, you adapt to the new games. You adapt to the new rules. You you move on from one place to another. He's at a place where it's gotten so big in his head, I think, like he doesn't need to read the stories. He doesn't need, he's not going to be thinking about one or two children, a thousand children, a hundred thousand children. Like that's not his problem. That's not, that's not 
what he's thinking about. He's thinking about power and its maintenance. He's definitely feeling threatened. And what's important now is holding together everything that he's worked to acquire, which is at threat now. And there's a story in Islam from Ali bin Talib about wealth and power versus knowledge and how the acquisition of knowledge is more noble than the acquisition of wealth <clears throat> or power because knowledge can never be taken away from you. No one can come into your mind and steal what you've learned from you. What you learn is yours forever. And the more that you have, the more you have to give. Whereas with wealth and power, the more that you have, the more at risk you become of losing it all. It becomes heavier, whereas knowledge makes you lighter. It takes you higher. Weight, wealth pushes you down. It's, it's a weight on your back. It's, it, it's something you have to protect, whereas knowledge is something that protects you. So it's very interesting to see like how someone in Netanyahu's position whose who's power is at threat right now, like, and he knows it, like he's not stupid, right? He's using whatever he can to invoke whatever he can and whatever he knows, which is fear. They don't, they don't know anything at that point, at that level of power. I think they don't know anything except fear. And all he can do is invoke fear. And to say something like Amalek can invoke fear in uh, any Judeo-Christian, even if unconsciously, because it's like, oh, something within you says, oh, that's a monster. That's something that tried to ruin us. We have to fight. We have to protect ourselves. Like, bro, you are Amalek at this point. Like, I need you to, I need you to realize <laughs> And you should realize it like you are Goliath right now. You're not David. This isn't David. You're not David anymore. You're Goliath. So, yeah. So it's just fear, right? It's it's mostly using fear to maintain their power because they're losing respect and they don't know love. And there's nothing really else left mm. to maintain your power. So. That makes, yeah, it's complete sense. Like how else could you be operating at that level from any, anything? It's just pure fear. It's just, and I always think of fear, like fear is the separation from love, you know, mm. j just like if there's two fundamental things, it's love, connectivity and fear, like the belief or like, yeah, just this notion of being separate from it. Like, but that's all happening in the mind. Do you see that in the in in the tarot? I'm curious in the in the minor arcana in particular, like if fear showing up there. Mm, that's a great question. Where where would I would say maybe in the well the nine I think of wands. I don't know if I would call it fear, but there is that element of defensiveness, right? Um, the four of pentacles. Um, like a fear of losing everything he's acquired because he's covered and he has one on his head and one in his arms because he's holding the coins and like he's twisting his arms just to be able to, to hold it so securely so no one touches it. That might be, that could be like a kind of fear. Uh, fear driven by greed. Like the, yeah. and well, Crowley called it power. 
that card. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I haven't played around enough with the uh, Thoth deck, mostly between the Waitsmith and the Marseille. I like my two. There's, I, 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 the Thoth deck was the first deck that I got. And oh. I, I, so, it, you know, it's, it's special to me in that way. And I always go back to it, even though I, I've been using the Smith Weight deck a lot and I love it. And I got, and the Marseille too, but I, I'm a little bit vexed by it, especially the miners. Like, it's like, is it a sword? Is it a wand? Oh no. Like, <laughs> yeah. But sometimes I feel a little gaslit by the Thoth deck, to be honest. Well, I just had that that feeling today. I was um uh was reading the cards. So I, I mentioned to you over email, uh, I'm reading uh uh Rachel Pollock's uh a walk uh a walk through the forest of souls, which is um one of her her new book on the tarot and she gets into like asking the tarot deep questions about God and creation. And it inspired me to ask some new, some new questions of the tarot today. And the one that I asked, I was like, okay, what's the energy for when I'm, when the world is gaslighting me and what's, what's for when I'm gaslighting myself. And um, for the five of swords came up for like being gaslit by the world or no being gaslit by myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when I'm gaslighting myself and lying to myself, I'm like five of swords. That makes complete sense. Um, and then I'm like, what's the energy for being gaslit by the world? It was the five of cups. I was like, okay. That's and so beautiful. then I, yeah, I was like, okay, this feels very clear. And then I asked, I was like, okay, so what's the energy for like pulling myself out of the gaslighting? And the seven of swords came up. Mm. And I thought that was super interesting for like this push and pull between the five and the seven. Um, But the seven of swords in Crowley's deck is called futility. (laughs) But I'm like, rude. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and I I had that occurrence. I was like, wait, I'm asking all these questions about gaslighting. I think I'm a little bit gaslit by Alistair Crowley in this moment because like so many of his cards are, are like very prescriptive in terms of like, you know, seven of desks failure, like, and you read right. like, what he writes about it and he's like, I have nothing good to say about this card. And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's part of why, like, I was never able to connect with that deck. The The names make it feel very limiting to me. Like, it's hard to look past the name of the card and be able to play with it. And I love the element of play in the tarot. That's like my favorite part of tarot, that there are all these archetypal images that we can play with as we please that we can project on. And then it feels with Crowley's deck specifically, it just feels too ego infused. It's about him. The cards are about him, his view of the world, his projections. And that's what's kept me for a long time from being able to connect with it, even though the art is really beautiful. Like I do love the art of the cards. I just, I just can't deal with, the personality that just comes through so hard and like from everything I've read about him like I just don't I'm not a huge fan as a character like of of him as a character I think he has a lot of interesting aspects and I I like the way that like his energy kind of brought all this chaos to the golden dawn which is really cool but at the same time it's just like it's like an energy I don't want to engage with and I have enough I already bring enough chaos to my own life like I don't need you to, I don't need you piling onto it 
to be honest. <laughs> you totally you set me free another, a deeper layer during one of your tarot workshops where you're like, rip up the book, rip up the booklet. <laughs> and I had the thought deck in front of me. I was like, I can't do it. I was like, you have to do it. <laughs> you have to do it. Free. You have to free yourself. <laughs> ah, yeah. And like, I mean, yeah, he, he sounds like he was a bit of a, a pill. <laughs> Maybe that's a kind way to put it, but I've, I've, I've loved working with the deck, but the more I studied the tarot, the more I realized and like all of the bias present and, um, you know, there's just, it's, it's the stories, right? Like if you, if you're certain that, that that's the truth, then it's going to become the truth for you. And like the tarot, like can be the self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, mm -hmm. where you're just like, and you caution this a lot in terms of reading, like, you know, the magic being between uh, the reader and the querent and like what that dynamic. Um, but I, personally, I found so much value in exploring them on my own, but definitely to the point okay. of being a crutch. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but I'm curious, you said that in the Latin, Venus became um, uh, masculine um talking about the five and the seven right because seven being the sphere of venus and 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 five being the sphere of mars does mars mm. become feminine in in latin i don't know actually i'm not sure i'm not sure who mars is or how that translates because it's any the word in the bible is Helel bin shachar and that is the star venus or the morning literally the morning star mm -hmm. and the morning star or venus would be greek i believe and when it was translated into latin when the bible was translated into latin they used the word lucifer because it's lucifer means morning star in um in latin and that became a masculine character I'm not sure. I'm not sure actually about Mars. I should look into it. Yeah, it's interesting because it's so, I mean, culturally, like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Like that's just right. baked right. in at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've been learning about the dynamics of the tree of life, like the Kabbalah tree of life and the relationships between like seven and eight or five and seven. And, um, yeah, I, I keep looking at six as this place where I want to be, like this heart center place. Mm -hmm. And like, like mm -hmm. how do I survive these? Like, I don't want to be in the five place. I don't want to be in the seven place. Like, how do I get back into the middle? <laughs> yeah, I feel you. But, you know, we just are where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also pulled the five of swords today. Did you? Mm -hmm. As part of this tower reading that I did. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, but the the to to just comment on your point, it's definitely valuable to play with the tarot on your own. It's just a next level kind of magic when like really reading and wanting to read into messages and find new clarity and perspective when you have someone else because they're going to see something that you don't see. If you are both being open, if your hearts are open, if you're letting yourself play and be in that child consciousness, you can find so much perspective 
just putting the cards between you and someone else. It's it's a different kind of experience. It's definitely a beautiful uh, mystical journey. And I think it's really valuable in terms of esoteric learning to just sit and play with the cards alone. Uh, I mostly just warn people of, like you were saying, making it a crutch for yourself or um, spooking yourself, right? Like, because lots of people still kind of approach the tarot with this, oh, it's telling me the future and the future is set in stone. Like, bro, no, it's no, it's not. I need you to calm down. Like, you, this is right now. The future is right now. You're making it happen. You being worried about this happening, that is setting it in stone for you. But you can chill and it won't, it doesn't have to be that way. Like, just, you know <laughs> Yeah, you, you start to fixate on something and then you, you start, yeah, causing the ripples and, and taking the steps toward it. It's like when you're, you know, driving or riding a bike and there's a pothole. It's like, don't look at the pothole because if you do, you're, you're going to go over it. Like you kind of like look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. <laughs> right. Right. Be aware of the pothole and, and move aside. It can be simple. Like you don't have to worry about the pothole. You have, you literally have a steering wheel. It's like the bike isn't forcing you to go into it. You have free will. You can, you can turn the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the, to go back to the Abrahamics, just because you mm. just reminded me, like you sang free will, that becomes an important aspect of the Abrahamic religions with Islam. Islam re-emphasizes the importance, the significance of free will in humanity in the creation of humanity when god is creating adam it's a very explicit that he creates him with free will and that's what makes adam different than the animals or the angels because everything else has to move according to god's will except for mankind mankind gets free will and the angels are like what are you crazy like how could you like everything we've created what if they destroy it like don't you see like they could ruin everything and God's like listen I know a lot of stuff that you don't know let me do this now bow down because I love this creation it's my favorite bow to my creation <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool I've never heard it framed like that like that we're the only ones who got free will like that that like is it yes, and Iblis actually the jinns the the jinns also, uh, I believe, have free will, but that's just implied because Iblis, the devil, when God asks the angels to bow, he says no. He's like, no way. I'm not I'm not bowing to this thing. It's younger than me, and it's made of clay. I'm made of fire. I'm better than him. Why would I bow to him? And God is like, bro, if you don't bow to him right now, I don't care how beautiful you are, I'm sending you out of here. Iblis, I think, is the only jinn who's allowed into heaven because he's so beautiful. That's also something that's emphasized, his beauty. And uh, he, he essentially says, no way, like, I'm better than this guy. Like, I'm not. This isn't happening. And then he kind of gets, he gets sent out of heaven, but he's allowed to stay on earth to test mankind's free will, essentially. And God is like, you can do, you do that. You play your games and we'll see each other 
in the day of judgment. We'll see. We'll see what goes down. We'll see what they choose. And it, like lately I've been thinking about how this kind of feels like right now, it feels like one of those days of judgment, like one of the, the it's an apocalypse, like an actual uncovering of so much. And we're really being called to judge who we are. Where do we stand in all of this? Like, what will mankind decide? Who will we be on the other side? Will we be the people who facilitated a genocide in the House of Peace? Or will we be the people who stopped it from going any further? Will the age of colonialism and aggression and imperial oppression, will it end? Because this is its last cry in a weird way. Um, well, what's going to happen? Is it going to be allowed to root itself is this is this going to be the way we move forward with violence and force and moving each other out of what we know where we know we belong or are we going to put an end to this what's it going to be who's going to win god or iblis essentially <laughs> whoa and when you say when you talk about god in this in this context you're talking about yahweh like mono daddy well, yes, but like he transforms, right? He's uh -huh. not the same in the New Testament as he was in the Old Testament. He changes. And then he's not the same in the Quran as he is in the Old or the New Testament. Because in the Quran, he doesn't uh, he doesn't acknowledge Jesus as his son. He acknowledges him as a prophet, a very important prophet, born of a virgin, uh, all of the things. But still not 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 him not him in the flesh just a prophet a very important one and then muhammad is like the seal of the prophets the last that he'll send to earth he is still mono daddy he is still one very important that he is one he is the father of all and everything everyone and everything but um but but yeah it's it is mono daddy but but after he's grown up a little bit right? Like even the New Testament, in the New Testament, it's like he has individuated in a way. Like when you're reading the Old Testament through, you see how he gradually starts to learn to communicate more and more. Like in the beginning, he's prone to just burn people to the ground if they piss him off, to drown the entire earth, to just, it's like he's this blubbering baby, you know, like he doesn't know how to communicate he just knows how to react he just knows how to be upset and then little by little he learns to communicate he learns to um to say what he wants and to forgive and then finally he continues to grow until finally in the new testament he becomes flesh he becomes man he becomes individuated manifest as this human who is so non-reactive in in most situations and that when he is angry it is a righteous kind of anger when he is enraged it's a holy rage and who chooses even at the pinnacle of suffering to still love to still choose love right like even on the cross he doesn't choose to deny himself if we're still seeing like you know in that symbolic sense the higher self that we're trying to embody. The greatest test of that is 
Jesus's sacrifice. And it's like, well, now that you're up there and he's not saving you, are you going to deny him? And he's like, no, like what? I don't, I mean, I'm upset, but I'm not going to say it's not my, this hasn't been my fate because I knew that this was coming. Mm. It's very interesting. There's so many ways to read it, right? It's so interesting. It, well, it's it's so fascinating because I, you know, I was raised um, in the Christian faith a little bit. Like both of my parents were, uh, you know, my mom was brought to Catholic church. My dad was brought to Christian church and both of them were like, ah, but there was still that like, I guess we should take the kids on holidays. That like, I don't know if it's the Occam's razor. Is that like, you know, if uh, if God exists, then you uh, I don't know if, it's, if I'm going to thing. Occam's razor might be something else, but it might be this where like the, um, like it's kind of gambling, like, well, God might exist or God might not exist, but if God does exist, I should err on the side of, um, I don't think, I think Occam's razor is something else. It's anyways. <laughs> no, I, th- I know what you're talking about. And it's like, yeah. yeah, I might as well just believe if he doesn't exist, whatever. It's not like I lost anything, but if he does and I didn't believe then I'm screwed. Like, yeah yeah and then, then it's like then it's like though which god though like which one yeah like <laughs> which which flavor of of, of mono daddy because yeah. it, well it's interesting to hear you talk about it as the abrahamic religions because i feel like most people don't well i mean i i learned eastern and western religion in college like i took intro classes and i was surprised to find islam paired with christianity and judaism just, you know, not having that knowledge previously that I'm like, oh, they're, they're paired together. Okay. This is new information. And then Mm -hmm. you go deeper and then you realize the roots and like the trajectory, the linear, the chronological passage. uh, And, and now hearing you say how, like how that, how God changes and how he adapts and how he grows and kind of evolves through these mythologies. Hmm. Just as the prophets do, right? Like, he kind of comes through in the stories from the prophets. They're they're the ones who communicate him to us. So with every prophet, there's this like new interpretation of him. There's this new way that he uh, shows up, a new attitude, uh, more perspective. Like Anna, because of the way that I was raised with all of this, and like because I was always interacting with sheikhs and rabbis and priests like they were all my mentors and they were all friends and they were all very spiritual and they all taught me to think for myself like I can't read any of these books without each other like to me they're a trilogy a natural trilogy they're not they almost don't make sense to me without each other even though I know like especially like Christian Judeo-Christian theologians they like to like poke in on every little detail and how oh actually this wasn't actually a monotheistic thing until this reign and this king and this blah 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 like bro I need you to have a little more retrospect like I need you to, I need you, I need your perspective to just open up a little bit we're here now for a reason so that we can have all of this perspective and when you read them all together and you see that perspective getting wider like my favorite of the books is the Quran, to to be honest. Like, I don't believe, you know, that I'm not a believer in anything, because how could I be at this point? Um, But in terms of, like, the magic and the perspective, my favorite is the Quran, because the Quran uh, has the 
the benefit of coming afterwards and having all of the stories. So it incorporates the Gnostic stories. It incorporates Apocrypha, it incorporates Old Testament, New Testament, analysis, commentary, critique. It has the most perspective in terms of the books. So it it basically is like it it shows up. It, if you will, it brings itself to the table with the awareness of the other books, right? So it like will reference the other books. It almost presents itself as a companion reader, you know, like it'll reference, it'll, the Bible tells the story as if you're reading it now, right? Like this is what's happening to them. This is what God demanded. This is why they failed, blah, blah, blah. The Quran will be like, remember when we told Moses to go and do this and that? And you remember how we punished Moses? Well, Maybe we didn't make it clear the first time, but we punished him because of one, two, and three. So if you don't want to be punished, you'll want to avoid one, two, and three, and you'll want to maybe move more towards four and five. So it's l much less ambiguous, uh, more solid, more, more clear cut. Like there's no proving that God is real. There's no miracles that, that need to show you that, God is no, it's more like you already know God. Remember God? Like you remember God. Okay, let us let's just clarify his will because listen, a lot of these people throughout history, they've been moving away from his will. If you don't want to end up like them, if you don't want to end up cursed like them, this is how to avoid it. And it's so meticulous. Like the Bible is very messy with its magic, whereas the the Quran is so meticulous with its magic with the numerology with how many words are in it with how many times each prophet is mentioned with how the poetry is set up because it's essentially a book of poet it's a it's a poem right and it ref it's self-referential it literally says like you know i'm you know i'm allah speaking because only allah could drop these bars literally like it literally says that at some point it's like this is how you know this is a holy book because you know no one else could drop bars like this not not no one else could drop these divine bars this the exactness the numerology the the everything about it it takes it 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 really hones in on the leftovers and the things that were still loose in Judeo-Christianity and just tightens everything up, tightens it all up. Like, you know what? Let's let's fix all of this. Like even the snake in the garden, Iblis, the devil. No, there's a devil. He's the devil because he was racist. He doesn't have his own realm or anything. He's right here on earth, all around you. He's always trying to tempt you. He'll be there at the end of days to face God. And we're going to see if he, if he was able to tempt you. We're going to see if it was a mistake to give you free will. It, it's... It's it's really like even in alchemical terms to like it's so it's careful, it's careful, it's meticulous. It brings back the Gnostic stories and all the things that uh, the church tried to hide away and remove. It brings it all back, it brings them at least the most important what, what they believe to be the most important aspects of it back. Uh, so on an on an esoteric level, it's a very interesting, very interesting read. And just as part of like a holistic understanding 
of the development of Abraham and his God and the religion that came out. It's very much that when when Islam first started, it was a it was a a reform of Christianity. So it's just so, but it's been you know demonized and pushed apart. And there's this whole Western view of West and East that even I'm like subscribing to as I say this to you, just by saying Western versus Eastern, and you know it's it's interesting. It's interesting stuff. I didn't know that it was uh, a, a reform for Christianity. That was the the mm-hmm. origins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's almost like a like a sect. It almost like started almost like a sect in Christianity. Uh, you know, and like I said, it was fixing. It was fixing the leftovers, and it's like not. It's not surprising. Like when you read it, and when you read the Quran, and you understand like what Islam is about, really, as opposed to like looking at Islamic empires and being like, "Oh my God, they're evil." When you actually read the religion, the book, the source material, you can understand why um, the black community in America was so drawn to it, because Islam really is like the underdog's word, like. It's God saying, like, the least of you are the first. And this is how, not not just the way that Jesus said it, because they say that, but they don't practice it. And it's not real. They always they give the highest and the richest of you everything. Priests are covered in gold and robes. And, you know, it's uh, whereas Islam is like, no, this world doesn't matter. And there's a big there's a big emphasis on like this world not mattering the loose ends like i said they ties up it ties up the loose ends and you can understand why oppressed communities would be drawn to it Hmm. why it's such a powerful faith to have if you're living a hard life like a truly hard a truly difficult life going through something truly difficult yeah and, and why imperialism is so eager to demonize it or why imperial it just demonizes it because of who it's uplifting. Yeah. It spreads. Cause once anyone reads it, I don't know if you've been seeing this. I've been seeing so many people in America, like reading Quran and converting and putting on hijab. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised because it's any, it, even like for me uh, as a non-believer, I like it the most as a read. I just, I just like it the most. So anyone at a, in a different kind of uh, consciousness than me, who is looking for a religion, who is looking for a faith, or who's losing faith in their own religion and needs something to replace that, can easily, easily be converted. And that would be so scary for a Christian Europe that's doing its best to spread and having difficulty spreading. So, yeah, it spreads easy. <laughs> I'm just, my mind is kind of being blown right now in terms of the trajectory, you know, thinking about Jesus, you know, being Jewish (laughs) and then going on to be the, I don't want to call him the founder of Christianity because I don't know how much he would approve of how it's rolling today. But um, I'm wondering in terms of either the quant the Quran or in, in Islam, the the origin story of of God, or when, if they're if they have, because it's my understanding that the Hebrew mystics were the ones who gave God 
the name Yahweh, this, this four letter name, because that was the only way that the human mind could comprehend this. this the God had this too much for us to hold. And so it became this, this nameable thing. And from there became this character that could evolve over time. Does, does the Quran speak to that at all? Well, the foundation of Quran is that God is one. That's the, you know, God is one. God is the greatest, the most powerful, the most high. He has 99 names because he cannot be contained in one name. Um, it doesn't speak to Yahweh. It doesn't bring up Yahweh. It's Allah, Allah. Basically, it's like almost a, in a, phonetically, it's almost, you know, a statement of awe, you know, just Allah, like, like this. And I think it's etymologically tied to L, the original L, which is who the one God Yahweh would have been brought out of, which was the high God, the highest God of the Canaanites. In the Canaanite religions, El, the high God, the creator of men, had a mother. Ashirah would have been his mother and his wife, right? Um, that idea was obliterated, which, I, which I've been trying to explore lately because I just think it's so interesting. And in Deuteronomy, uh, God, Yahweh, goes out of his way several times just to say, don't you dare worship Ashirah don't you dare erect anything for Asherah. Like he says it repeatedly, oftentimes out of context. Sometimes he'll be like saying something else. Like he'll be coming to the end of a chapter. He'll be saying something else. And then it'll be like, um, you know, don't eat animals that don't chew the cud. Don't eat animals with parted hooves and don't erect any pillars for Asherah. Okay. See ya. Like you're reading it and you're like, what, what happened between this guy and Asherah? Like, are they all right? Like, what did she reject him terribly? Because that's what it feels like, bro. You know, why do you have such a thing against Asherah? Like, I need you to chill. But I don't know. I, I actually don't know much about like the origins of this word. I always felt like it, you know, those, those things that always seem like they're hiding something so beyond magnificent and true I always I always err away from that like I'm more inclined to read the idea of monodaddy again just because of the way I've, I've I was raised and the amount of times that I've read these stories and reinterpreted them I'm so inclined to read it as a moment in history that's not unlike now in that everything was dispersed like there were all of these different gods there were all of these different pantheons everyone had a different um a different role a different thing that they ruled and then it's like someone woke up one day and was like you know what i need something more holistic i need something to incorporate everything into one and it's really similar to what we're experiencing now like Psychology is one thing. Science is one thing. Sociology is another. Literature is another. Philosophy is another. And so many of us are like, I need something holistic. I need something that incorporates all of these different practices in a way that brings it together into one. Just one holistic practice that addresses all of the aspects. 
And I, I feel like it feels to me like it was something similar that was happening at the time. You know, there had been the practice of pantheons and multi-gods for so long until eventually it was like, okay, let's do, let's do a one, let's try and do this on one, like just one palette, just one, one person, one dude who controls everything as opposed to like all of these different strands and so yeah, I'm just more inclined to go that way. I haven't actually done like the the work of exploring the tetragrammaton. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because like I said, I have this, whenever something presents itself as containing ultimate truth, greatness, kaza, that's when I'm, something in like my gut is like, no, no, he, he, someone made this up. Someone made it up. It's a mortal, a mortal human. Just pick the letters. It, you know, there's nothing there. Something happened. Something went down. We can't know now. Um, but I, I can't I can't be expected to think that it came through a mortal mind, but somehow has the, the ultimate truth, maybe the truth of the moment and the truth of the, the individual, perhaps even the truth of a collective that was channeled through an, an individual, the ultimate retrospective truth. I don't think we have access to that. I don't think we're supposed to have access to that. Uh, that feels very wise. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm so driven um, for answers. And I know I like, I think, you know, you were, you were talking about, knowledge bring lightness earlier and it's just such a beautiful feeling that you know it can it can just support us in that way but to actually think that there's some place of arrival is a, a, it's just it's just one of those illusions you know it's kind of the seven of cups you know reaching for all of these you know I if I could just access you know and like mm -hmm. no no it's this beautiful illusion and like yeah, the the whole point of that that origin is is that like it was unnameable. It, it's not possible. Our human minds can't conceive it. At least not in language. Like the mind can't go there. Perhaps we can have embodied experiences. Maybe we do all the time. Yes, like Om, right? Yeah. Like Om is a similar kind of word, something mm. that that encompasses. The all, the infinite, the or the Tao, or like when Alan Watts says he's like approaching, trying to describe it, and then just says, We're not gonna give it a name. Like that this is about as far as we can go. We can describe, we can circumscribe, but we can't define. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I think what we can define, though, and I love that you keep bringing up Ashira and and speaking to the, you know, the existence of the goddess before the god, <laughs> yeah. and and uh, Mono Daddy's insistence that we not worship her. <laughs> He's very insistent; like she just repeats it like randomly. You're like, bro, what does any of this have to do with Ashira right now? Like we we weren't even talking about her. Why do you keep coming back to her? I mean, she what definitely rejected him. <laughs> yeah, no, hard. That's what it feels like. That That's definitely what it feels like. 
It's interesting. I heard um, this fellow named Shaman Durek talk about the, you know, the time before the patriarchy when, you know, the goddess was so powerful and then perhaps she started to abuse her power. <laughs> um, is interesting. I, I, the, the way he framed it was kind of like, well, you know, the feminine is responsible for patriarchy now because, you know, she she was too powerful and it was too much and like it had to get shifted. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. But I do find it interesting, this concept of the feminine being so big and so divine or just so powerful that there's there was a swing in the other direction where the masculine was like, no, 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 we can't deal. Or maybe the woman couldn't deal. Maybe she should. I, I don't know. But the these imbalances at play and the the power of worshiping the feminine that that is is, I think, opening up more and more each day. Mm -hmm. And that happened in ancient Egypt, right? Like there's this myth about how um, Isis, uh, her father was Ra. And one day she like decided, because she wanted his power, she could only get his power if he told her his secret name. So she uh, poisons him with a snake, she puts actually a snake on his path to poison him and with, with a disease that only she had the cure for. So he gets bit by this snake, he becomes bedridden and she comes to him like, oh, my father, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, you got bitten, but you know, it just so happens that I have the cure for this. He's like, oh my gosh, my daughter, give it to me. And she's like, okay, of course. But tell me your name first. Tell me your secret name. And he gives her the name and I think she lets him die. And that marks the shift in uh, ancient Egyptian culture from when the people worshipped Ra to when Isis suddenly starts to become like the embodiment of all the powers. So she moves from being just a simple move, moon goddess to becoming a sun goddess, a solar goddess, and an all-encompassing mother goddess. Whereas before that, the sun was Ra, essentially. And he's like her father and her son and her consort. Like, it's a, it's a shift that happens. He becomes her father when she takes that power away from him so that he symbolizes the old way and she symbolizes the new way. So, mm. Very interesting uh, stuff. Well, I love that you brought her up too. I was thinking about her earlier and I've been thinking about ISIS a lot, um, especially lately with the, um, the propaganda machine and, and the way that it, it, it invokes fear and the way that it's co-opted names. Mm. Like ISIS has been co-opted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Merkaba. for sorry. Merkaba, mm. the, the magical chariot. The, is the IDF IOF sorry the, they've named their um their tanks Merkaba Merkaba 5 Merkaba 3 something like that uh, what else there's so many things that have been taken like this the star yeah. the the six-pointed star like that was never I don't think it was until like the late 1800s early 1900s that that became religiously associated or nationally uh, especially nationally, politically associated. The same way that the swastika was never meant to be a national political symbol, it's a spiritual symbol. 
you see it all around the place here. Oh yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, and and mm -hmm, it's, it's normal in, 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 in many cultures, like you go like into an Indian sweet shop and they're like, Oh, there it is. Mm -hmm. And I've done a bit of research actually on the swastika. And there's some people who say that it's the oldest known symbol. Oh, wow. And that it appeared in every corner of the globe. Mm. And how yeah, interesting is it that we banned it in many places after the Nazi regime ended and, it, but it didn't actually make the hatred go away. It just banned this beautiful symbol. Like it associated with it, 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 it like froze this hatred on top of yeah. it. What you and resist persists, right? Yeah. We tried to suppress, we've been trying to suppress. I, during the time that I was getting harassed, I made a, I made a, a video about Hitler and about him being this, the shadow of Europe embodied and how, you know, we have to be careful not to fall back into that, to wake up the archetype or else it was going to take us over literally where we are right now. Right. And I got so much hate for that. So like, like it was un unbelievable. I couldn't believe the way that people twisted everything I'd said to make it the most negative anti-semitic hateful like i'm literally saying that we need to wake this thing up so that we don't reach that point again how are you misconstruing this like <laughs> how do you think that anyone in their right mind like you don't think that that the germans were possessed by a collective shadow of europe like you think people just just wake up and burn people alive in their right mind like do you is that where you are in your mind? Because if you are, it feels like you might be that kind of person. Is that what you're saying? Like something's wrong. That's, you know, no, you're justifying. I can't believe you're justifying the Nazis saying that it was a mass psychosis saying that. What would you call this now? You don't think you don't think the 18 to 25 year old IOF soldiers are in a kind of mass psychosis running in and slaughtering people and calling them animals. You don't think there's something wrong. You don't think there's something asleep in there, some kind of monster that's taken over their whole psyche to justify them being able to do this. You you don't you know mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't ring it it doesn't click doesn't resonate you know. <laughs> no no no. Humans are inherently evil, so we just do these things because we love to. Like right? No, literally, literally. That that was that was the stuff people were saying, stitching my video, being like, oh my god, she's actually justifying the behavior. She's doing this. She's doing that. Bro, who am I to justify? Who am I to justify? This is this has been over for almost 100 years. Who am I right now? Is is the United Nations going to come out and be like, well, thanks to Ilian's video, <laughs> we've now decided. <laughs> yeah. You did it. Congratulations. <laughs> we've decided that the Nazis are off the hook. You know, <sighs> thanks to Ilian's. Um, bro. Yeah. No, no, I've, I've been sitting with this because I've been sitting with um, uh, Yuval Noah Harari's Sapiens and, mm -hmm. and some of the messages that came out of that book. And the, one of the messages that I took from that book, because he makes, he really belabors the point that Homo sapiens killed all the other types of human. Like he talks about how like Homo sapiens were just so violent. They killed off the Nathan, uh, the other one. 
Neanderthals. Don't know why I can't say that word right now. But 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 and and I I've referenced that. I referenced that over the years and like, well, you know, and I'm like, I'm always like I I'm always fighting for the good. I'm like, I think we're inherently good. And yet I would reference that anyways as this sort of throwaway for like, well, I guess it's just in our nature that we're violent. You know, it's always been this way. And yet, like, that's not true not only like that that science has been debunked and he's been you know more and more people are questioning his narratives he's a very compelling storyteller which is why the book sewed so well because he knows how to tell a good story but you know he wove these facts together that gave this overview of the human race that is just not correct Mm-mm. no i was i don't even know why but i was never able to buy or read that book I don't know why, right? Like I just had a weird intuitive rejection of that book. Everyone would talk to me about it. I'd be like, no, never read it. Have no interest in reading it. I tried to read it a little bit because my friend was so obsessed with it. Couldn't even get through the first chapter. And I was just like, you know what? I don't I don't need to read every book on the planet. And hearing him speak since the 7th of October has made me feel so good about my decision, about my intuition, like, oh, I I knew, I really knew deep down, like, this is not a person who I want to believe or a person I want, whose thought I want to particularly respect or hold in high regard. It's just not. And he made that so clear that I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, so glad I never wasted any time on that book. So, so glad. Yeah, absolutely. But it, you know, it just was so popular. And like you said, your friends being like so many people talking about it, be like, oh, this is the thing. And he, he, he became this thought leader. I mean, he is still a thought leader today, even though more people are questioning him. Uh, But it's amazing how we anoint people and decide that their truth, their narrative is the story because it, maybe fits or is comforting or just our friends believe it but the power of these stories and he says it himself he's that false stories have an intrinsic like are intrinsically more intriguing to people like you're we're- rejecting without telling me you're projecting like <laughs> it's like <laughs> like here's this beautiful truth that you've offered us amongst all of the pseudoscience where you're just showing us your you know sh- yourself literally Literally. And remember too, like a lot of culture and popular opinion is shaped by systems of power. Noah Harari represents the power system. He works for the power system. The way he's been speaking about the conflict just goes to show that he is in communication with people of power. He is staying true to the narrative that he has been told, paid, threatened to push. And that's who he's been all along. This isn't a new thing. He knows it's not a new thing. He is Israeli. He pushes Israeli-ness. I seen him, I, after October 7th, like I saw one of his older interviews where he was talking about how Israel is just this this small little country, this beautiful small little country in the Mediterranean, just hidden away and, you know, so small. And it's very sad that, you know, they're just surrounded by enemies and, you know, and no one wants to. I'm like, hmm, you call yourself a historian. 
I would chill. Like I would be a little more careful because like you're going to lose a, a lot of respect someday. The truth makes its way around. You know, we all grew up in school learning about Christopher Columbus, how he was a hero. He was an explorer. He discovered the new land. He went, he was so brave that he went out into the open waters looking for India and he found the new world. And unfortunately, there were people there, there were natives who were barbarians and they were hostile to him and they didn't know Christ and they didn't want to know Christ. And he was forced to call for backup and he you know they wanted war because that's all they knew how to how to fight and how to have a war you grow up learning this is what i learned you know in canada like this is this is something we learned on like canada day right or thanksgiving or something and that day masalan and this is like one of the ways that i've been protected right like i've just been really lucky they sent us home that day with these headbands um, that had like the Canadian flag and the American flag and Christopher Columbus on his boat. And I went home wearing this, wearing this headband and my parents see it. And they were like, what in the world? What is that? And I was like, it's Thanksgiving. Columbus is a hero. La, la, la. And my dad literally takes it off my head, sits me down. He's like, what did you learn? And I was like, I learned this and this and that. He was an explorer. He did this, he did that. He was like, okay. Okay. Listen whatever they teach you at the school, I don't want you to argue. Like you're not, don't argue with them. You know, they know what they know and they have their own story, but this is, that's not what history is. That's not, that's not what happened. He was not, he did not discover this place. He didn't discover it. Lots of sailors had been here before him. Lots of cultures, Vikings, Phoenicians, lots of people came here and they lived with the people and they brought their own practices and they learned from the practices of the people and they integrated with them and they lived with them and they stayed here and they flourished and everything. And Christopher Columbus knew, everyone knew that this place was here. They came for what they knew was here and it was gold. They came because they wanted gold. They knew that there was gold and they came for the gold. They didn't, he didn't come here because he was brave. He came here because he was greedy. He came here so that he could ruin the earth and take the gold. Like I'm just like this seven-year-old, six-year-old kid. I'm like, he was greedy. He was like extremely greedy. All of Europe. That's what they wanted. They had run out of their own gold because they were so, they were so greedy that they had take they had used up all their own gold and they needed more so they sent christopher columbus to get more and they had every intention they knew that there were people here and they had every intention of killing them and you know what you know what the real story is that the people here were so strong that they couldn't even fight them they had to go they had to make them sick they had to make Half of them, if not most of them, sick because they couldn't fight them because they were too strong. Even with all their money and all of their power and all their technology, they couldn't fight these people. You can't fight the people of the earth. Like, And I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God, this is so different than what I learned. <laughs> this story is crazy. And and I was just like taking it in like, oh, OK, I see. So so Christopher Columbus is the, is the bad guy. He's the, no, Christopher Columbus is the worst guy. Okay, like this. he and he was and he was a pussy, and he was a pussy. he couldn't even fight them. They couldn't even fight them with everything they had. They couldn't even fight them. That's how powerful the people here were. That's how connected to their land they were. And 
always there was the tie with the Palestinians, like just like the Palestinians. And that's why the Palestinians will never leave. And that's why Palestine will never die. And da 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 da. And I was just like, okay, I get it. Okay, I get it. I get it. All right. So, all right, I get it. So people just go places and they try to take stuff. That, that's how that's how it goes down. And then they pretend to be heroes. You got it. Okay, cool. And then the always the don't even bother telling your teachers this. Okay, they know this. They know it, but they don't want to tell you. So don't tell them. Uh, okay, dissonance, but okay, cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Did you ever push back? <laughs> yeah. Did you ever like ignore that advice and you're like, I got to tell my teachers what's up? Yes, but I wouldn't like, I wouldn't straight up tell them. I would just ask questions, you know, like I would ask a question to see what they would say, like just to make sure that like my dad wasn't lying to me. Like I would like, you know, like I would ask my son, I remember asking about the blankets because my dad, when he, when he told me that story, he told me specifically a story about blankets, how they needed to, they put diseases, the way he put it was that he put, they put diseases, polio, I think in the blankets and they pretended that the blankets were a gift to the native people. And it gave them all polio because they couldn't fight them. Because the, the point of that story was to tell me like how strong the native people were, how they were real fighters. So your Europeans were just greedy pussies. Um, so they had to they had to make them sick. They had to make them weak, or else they just couldn't they couldn't take them essentially. So I asked my teacher. Uh, I was just like um, I asked one of the nuns, like, do you know the story of the blankets? And she was like, what blankets? And I was like, well, I read on the internet, the internet was very new, right, at the time, I, I was like, I read uh, at the library and on the internet that there were, that Christopher Columbus gave uh, the Native people blankets with diseases on them to make them sick. And she was so taken aback. She was like, that's, no, I've never heard that story before. I don't think that's true. I've never heard that before. And I was like, never heard that before, huh? Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. Wow. Cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seven years old is like can't trust authority. Like <laughs> legit. It's like I think I told you about this before. That was like the around the age of like my first awakenings. I was like six, and I had that for my first. Oh, we're all dead. Damn, this is nuts. Like, but yeah, yeah, no. A year before that, I had a, a like I had already had like a all, all like a weird confrontation with one of my teachers because I said that the that the map was wrong. I don't know if I told you about this, but um, we were in a geography class and we were like naming all of the countries. And at my house, we had a pre nineteen forty eight map, an Ottoman map. So right before, right under Lebanon, you have Palestine, right? Palestina, Mount Lebanon district of syria damascus gaza so we're in the class and we get to lebanon and i'm like all excited and then i see israel under it and at this point i'm growing up in an environment where we don't hear israel we hear palestine that's my reality so i see that and i'm like is this map from the bible because there's israel and I'm just like, sir, uh, actually, under Lebanon, there's Palestine. And he looks at me and he's like, there's no such thing as Palestine. 
And I was like, yes, there is. I live in Lebanon and under it is Palestine. And we have a map at home. And I'm like explaining this to him that like we have a map at home. It says Palestine. I can bring it in for like show and tell. And he cuts me off and he's like, get out. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like six years old, right? Like I'm just, why? Like literally I look at him like, why? And he's just like, go to the principal's office. I said, like, but what did I, what did I do? He's like, you're talking back. Go to the principal's office. Talking back. I'm literally asking you a question. I'm like, wait, what? Ilyan, go to the principal's office now. I'm like, like on the verge of tears, just trying to be strong, right? I go to the principal's office and I wait and my parents come and he comes and they have a whole art, like back and forth argument. And my parents essentially say that like, well, my dad mostly was just like, we don't want her in his class. Like she's going to need a private tutor. She's not, she's not attending another one of his classes. He's like, she needs to learn how to listen to authority. She needs to learn how to not talk back when somebody tells her that something is one way, not to say, no, it's another way. He's like, no, we've taught our daughter not to not question things just because someone bigger than her said it was true. So we don't want her in your class. We don't want her around anyone like you. And we will pull her from this school. Like if she's not, if she, if she has to go to another one of this man's classes or not, I don't want her exposed to this. And then I had a private tutor for geography for the rest of the year like what <laughs> wow that was like one of the first times that was one of my first experiences it was around the same time as my spiritual experience right I don't know which came first but I do remember realizing at the time that there was something fundamentally wrong with the world if we couldn't agree what a place was called that's about that, that. That was about as far as I could conceive of it at the time. Like, why does it matter what this place is called? Like, why is this such a big deal? Adults are dumb. Like, what? Israel, Palestine, like, whatever, bro. Like, 30 year old man is, you have beef with a six year old? Are you okay? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't normal. This shouldn't be. No, this isn't correct. Like, <laughs> Come on. Whoa. It later. It wasn't until like way later that I found out that the man was Jewish, possibly Israeli. So he was like emotionally invested even, you know, like his own programming was working through him to the degree that he was triggered by a six-year-old child. Like, wow. Like, you know, the programming is deep when a kid can can take you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah oh god <laughs> wow did you think about that moment a lot as you were working on your phd mm -hmm. i'd say it was probably like one of the things along the journey that brought me here probably like the first the, the opening moment of my journey here and it happened at the same time like around the same time, at the same age, my spiritual experience or like my, my like psychomanic breakdown and then, uh, and, and this. And to mm -hmm. think that now uh, I also like do both on an academic level, like on a, 
on a higher intellectual level. I also work with like the psychomanic, psychospiritual and the political at the same time. It's, it's very cool to think about. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, it's so incredible to see how those, see all those seeds have bloomed and all of the, the dedication you put in. Oh my goodness. It's an honor to witness. Truly. I can't wait to read. <laughs> I can't wait to read your work more. Like when do we get to, when do we get to enjoy the fruits of your labor? Well, I mean, you know, my TikTok is some of it. <laughs> I mean, there's so much fruit, but I know there's so much more coming. Like, yeah, there, there. You've been I'm, like creating for for years that has just been like ready to burst forth. Yeah, I'm just so chaotic too, right? Like, I'm I'm discovering it along the way too. Like, I don't even know how it's all coming together. Like, I didn't think I would be teaching an alchemy course online that's been the most fun like that was so much fun to prepare and even more fun to put into motion and practice I'm also editing I'm almost done editing my master's thesis so that's going to be available soon um, my PhD will probably get published after I do I finish up and I have to like get the approval from the school to publish it with a certain, like a, their, I think it's their choice of company or publisher that I have to go through. But my master's like I did in Lebanon and I've edited enough so that it's a little different, like different enough than the one that my school owns to be able to just self-publish it, which is what I'm going to do within the next like month or so. Hopefully, I don't know. I, I, I say I'm going to do it soon, but then so much more happens. I end up creating other things, doing other things ended up in Bali like I did not know I was going to come here or think of making retreats or that's the work that though that's been fulfilling me the most the working with other people reading people um holding space for people teaching uh yeah that that's been that's been more fun than even writing even though I always thought like my dream was always to be a writer that that was it that was all I had in mind to just be a writer to be published before I started twitchy I wanted to start a social media account so that I could be noticed by a publisher that was it that was all I wanted just to be to have something to leverage when talking to agents because I had been rejected by so many agents and publishers I just wanted something to leverage to have my book published I did not think that there was going to be a haul of this I didn't I didn't not at all like <laughs> wow Wow. I love that, like the pressures of modern day, like the need of having followers, like just be like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to do it for the publishers, you know, and then this whole other world exploded out of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that, that was my goal when I got on TikTok too, was to get followers so I could get a book deal. <laughs> yeah. I love that. We're reflections. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you a projector? Are you a projector too? Are you a generator? generator? Human design, you mean, right? Yeah. yeah. I could have sworn you were a projector. <laughs> it's it's the Virgo. Yeah. Mm. Just the strong, strong Virgo. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, thank mm. you so much for coming and, and coming on the podcast again. It's just such a delight. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh great, my great conversation. 
I know we could just go on forever. (laughs) Yeah. You're really good at holding space and you ask really good questions. So I, I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for saying that. That's really nice. I, um, I, I, it's, you know, when we're talking, my mind's going like a thousand different directions. I was like, I want to talk about like these 20 different things. And I'm like, okay, well, you have to pick one and maybe we'll circle back. But like, <laughs> You know, it what emerges is supposed to emerge, I think. And like, uh, I hope there'll be many more conversations. Yeah, I'm sure there will. Yeah, yeah. I'll and the precipice uh, of my dragon. <laughs> yes, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, the things to shift. Maybe we'll do a third one, and then that the, we'll go into the next phase. Right? We gotta like cap it <laughs> off at the. Right, right. I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it could be evolve into something different. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you for being here, and everyone who's listening. If you don't, if you're not already following her, she's Twitchy Witch on all of the socials on uh, YouTube. There's some long form content, including some tarology, um, some really nice intro uh, courses, and Discord as well, with where the community is at. And um, I'm sure they can access the Alchemy School through uh, through the Discord or through any of the social media platforms, Linktree. And also you have published a book of poetry, right? Mm -hmm. So you already, there is, there is, she's a published author, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) and our non-binary friend, sorry. (laughs) All of the people (laughs) can read Ilya's beautiful words anytime and, and follow her on TikTok. So yeah, thank you for, for sharing all of your gifts with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yay. More soon. (laughs) 